Well, I'm so glad to be here with you this evening for Christmas Eve on our midnight service. And as we begin, I know we really do need to pray, so let's ask God to guide us as we think about His Word. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for this time of year, the time when we remember you sent your Son, Jesus, to be born of human parents, that He might transform the world and transform our hearts. Come now and enter into our hearts and minds, that we might welcome you into every aspect of our lives, that you might transform us. May we be true children of yours, beings of the light that shine in the darkness. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you can see it in the world around us, the blurring of the image of God, the erasing of the Word of God, the distortion of the meaning of God, the meaning of life and of love and of just about anything you can look at around us. And Christmas has become so distorted in our culture that we cover over the true meaning of the event, the birth of the Messiah, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. If it's true that the Creator God was born on earth in human form just over 2,000 years ago, then that's the most important event in the history of the earth. If it's true that God has walked on this planet with us, that God took on human form, human flesh, that He taught us how to live, that He performed miracles, that He gave you the opportunity to be a son or a daughter of God, that He died so that you might live. If all that is true, then it's right to celebrate His birth and life everywhere. It's right to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is the King of Kings. The, Jesus is, a, is the Savior of the world. And it's absurd to think that we should do otherwise. It's absurd to change the meaning of this event to some sort of candy floss foolishness based on buying presents, decorating trees with lights and baubles, and to proclaim to the highest heights that Santa Claus is coming. When what we really need to proclaim is that Jesus has come and he's going to come back again soon. And it was interesting to me as I prayed about this and asked God what he would have me say this evening, three different people said to me, we can't allow Christmas to keep on being a celebration of tinsel and consumerism. We need to share the real truth about Christmas. As the author Quinn Caldwell says about his Christmas Eve church services, if you came for a story that doesn't threaten you, if you came for a different story than the one that we're going to tell, if you came to hear of the coming of the God who only showed up so that you could have a nice day with your loved ones, then you came for a God that we don't worship here. For even a regular baby is not a tame thing, and goodness that cannot threaten complacency and evil is not much good at all. And a God who would choose to give up power and invincibility to become an infant for you certainly didn't just do it so that we could all have a nice turkey dinner together. But if you came tonight curious and wanting to learn of how God spoke to ordinary everyday people that they might know His power and love, if you came because wise men and wise women were drawn to the light of God, to bow before a baby born in poverty, born without obvious power or wealth or position, or even a place to call home. And if you're searching for what they found, 
then tonight you are definitely in the right place. In our westernized world of film and video, and we, we lose sight of what's true and what's real. Everything becomes a myth. Everything becomes an urban legend. All ideas, all stories become equal, and so does good and evil, right and wrong. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, we know that truth still exists. There is good, there is right, there is meaning, and you can know the truth. Our gospel reading for this midnight service on Christmas Eve was written by a man named John. And John was a very close friend and follower of Jesus. He knew him personally. He knew that uh, he, when he saw Jesus, he saw someone extraordinary, and not just a mere human being, but God. And he reflected on that, and he reacted how he'd seen Jesus handle good times and bad. In the opening of his gospel, John wrote about who Jesus really was, what Jesus taught, what Jesus accomplished, and why it matters. And he began by saying, in chapter 1, verse 1 of his gospel, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. This writing of John's is so profound, and it makes clear that John's telling us facts. This is no myth. It's an account of what John saw, and he's giving an eyewitness account. It's historical. It's verifiable. Myths are different. They have a different way of being introduced. You know, one of the most famous myths of our time, one which you might like as much as I do, begins with these words. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, it's the introduction to Star Wars, a, a great myth. But this, in the beginning, this story that John is telling connects with history. John is giving you the truth. He's saying something deep about the beginning of everything, you and me and the whole universe. John is saying something meaningful about life. And he's telling us that God was there at the very beginning. First, the world was there at the beginning. Uh, pardon me, the Word was there at the beginning. And John is linking this to the first verse of the words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What John is saying is this. The Word is not one of the created things. The Word was the Creator. Second, John is saying the Word was with God. What does he mean by that? He means that he's always been there, always had this close connection between the Word and between God. Or to put it a simpler way, there's always been the most intimate connection between Jesus and God. And later, Jesus would say, if you have seen me, you have seen God the Father. And he's saying that in everything in the universe, all of it came into existence through God. So from this, we learn that the world and everything in it, everything in the world, is God's. God is intimately connected and concerned with the world. And the world wasn't flawed, but it was perfect and wonderful because God created it, and He saw that it was good. And of course, we humans um, distorted that relationship with God by sinning. But John 
says this wonderful, remarkable thing. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of all humankind. John's gospel begins and ends with life. At the very beginning, we read that Jesus was life. And then at the very beginning and the very end of his gospel, we read John's aim in writing was so that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing, you may have life in his name. And that word life is constantly on Jesus' lips all through this gospel. Jesus regrets that some people remain in the darkness and that they won't come to him so that they might have real life, real life in all its fullness, life that's a hundred million times better than what advertising tells you or what you could imagine. Jesus gives us a new life in which you'll never die because no one will snatch you out of his hand. Jesus claims that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And John has found that those words of Jesus were true. Quite simply, Jesus is saying that life is the opposite of what we face without him. We face destruction, condemnation, and death. But with him, we find a way through. And that God sent his son so that whoever believes in him wouldn't die, but would have this amazing life, eternal life. And John tells us that it's the will of the Father who sent Jesus that everybody who sees him, everybody who believes in him, will have this life. It's a kind of life that everybody's looking for. So, what's gone wrong? Why do so many people feel that the world is a dark place, that there isn't much hope in the world anymore, that there's no meaning in life, that there's no real love? How do we get that new life that Jesus is telling us about, the life that you really need? This light and the life that Jesus says, will he give it to you? Well, first of all, you need to realize that the darkness traps you and fools you. The darkness makes you feel safe and secure that nobody can see the dark side of your own life, the dark side of your feelings or your thoughts or your desires. The darkness keeps you from seeing that there's a way forward because light is necessary in the darkness so that we can see and not fall, not trip. There's a way to walk without falling, and that's with the light. And it all reminds me kind of of a movie, The Matrix, in which most of the characters have trouble seeing what the world is really like. That's the people walking in darkness. And then somebody comes along who shares the light with them, and suddenly they're able to see what the world is really like. And they get an idea that it would be so much better if they could walk that way. In The Matrix, there's no way to understand life without somebody telling you. And Jesus, in our own real lives, came to tell us the truth. So if we just sort of flip back to the connection we made at the beginning between what John was writing and what happens in Genesis, it's clear to see that God spoke things into existence. For example, light. That was the first thing he commanded. We all need to have light before we can have life. And Jesus calls himself the light. He says, I've come as the light into the world. The light which Jesus brings helps us to see so that we don't trip up. The light of God gives us life. The light of God gives us hope. The light 
the light of Jesus helps us to recognize what's evil and wrong and allows us to say no to the things that keep us from entering into a true relationship with God. Light can be scary for some people. Sometimes people are reluctant to see their own image or to allow others to see what they really look like, so they choose to remain in the shadows. But right now, Jesus is calling you and me into his marvelous light. In his light, we can see what the darkness is doing. The darkness can suck the life out of us. But in the light of Jesus, we begin to know real life and real healing. The little baby in the manger, he's a revolutionary leader calling you to a new life. This little baby in the manger has the power to change your world, to take you from slavery into freedom. This baby is here to set you free from all the things that hold you prison, prisoner. All kinds of things, alcohol, debt, insecurity, fear, anger, depression, lust, consumerism, loneliness, guilt. Think about what things hold you prisoner, prisoner of the darkness. And Jesus is calling you to leave those things that keep you from God, that pull you away from him, that keep you from seeing him, and come and say, hey God, all those things that I thought were so great in my life, of such great value, all those things that control my life, all those things that keep me in the dark, I give them up. And I wanna turn to you, Lord. And I pray that you'll change me and make me whole. Help me to be the person that I was created to be, not this thing that sin is trying to mold me into. I wanna have your light and life in my life. Your light, Lord, your life. I pray you'll give me this new life. Or maybe you've said a prayer like that in the past and right now you sort of feel like you don't know where the light and love and power of Christ is and you wonder where's the light and the love of God in my life? That doesn't seem to be working. I feel angry and dark and lonely and unlovable and incapable of love. Where are you, God? I'm trying to live for you. But when you come to the end of your rope, when you're trying, tired of trying to do good, and you're worn out by not making a difference, you finally come to a place where you can give God a moment that he can squeeze into. And then he can say to you, you know, stop doing a good job and start just being light. Stop doing your duty all the time and start being mine. Stop worrying about whether you're doing a good job and leave that up to me. You can't see it the way I do. Just let your light shine and let me take care of the rest. That's what God's saying to us about just allowing him totally into our lives that he becomes the center of our lives. What if the real test of success as God's servants is not what we do, but how we do it? What if the real measure of our extraordinariness is not our thoughtfulness or our friendliness or our busyness, but the spark that you have, the light of Christ within you? What if it's not about what we accomplish but our lightness in being reflecting the brightness of God within our lives? What if it's about loving God 
with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? What if it's about being aware that you are forgiven? What if it's about being aware that you're saved and that there was no one else could do it but Christ? And that he's chosen you and wants to see you lit up and wants all of us to be lit up and sent out like candles into the dark room. That's why Jesus came. That's why the birth of Jesus is the most significant moment in the history of the whole world. So that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, might come as light, might come as the life that you're looking for, as the peace that passes all understanding. He came that you might have light to see the truth, the true meaning and purpose of life. He came that your sins might be forgiven, all the darkness in your life, and that you might have that spark of light, the light of Christ. And he calls you now. It's the gift of Christmas, and it's only a prayer away. You can come now and kneel before the manger and offer up your life, that you might have the light and life of Christ in you now. Do it now. Don't wait. Amen.